usually we don't talk about like current, you know, popular movies and TV, comic book related movies and TV on this podcast because I think that's what loser podcasts do. We talk about real stuff. But I'm gonna make an exception because it was uh, <laughs> it's very topical. It, it's it's stranger than than true. Stranger, it's like stranger than real life. So stranger than so, fiction. Whatever. Right, I have to. I just have to bring it up. Because also, it's it's about it, it relates to a topic we've talked about before. Okay. So Phil, have you caught up? Have you watched the season premiere of The Boys yet? I have not, unfortunately. Right. Uh, first of all, first few episodes are out. First of all, they're pretty fucking funny. <laughs> they're pretty good. I believe it. All right, and there's very mild spoilers. What I'm about to say, when I say mild spoilers, I mean there's nothing plot or character related. They're just background jokes. Mm-hmm. So if you're the kind of person that considers that a spoiler. This is your warning now. I think you need to re-examine your life and why you watch TVs and movies. That says more about you than about the. It says about what you get out of it. So I'm gonna send you a link, Phil. Mm-hmm. So in episode two, uh, Frenchie and Kimiko go to um, Votland, <laughs> which Vot-land. is like, yeah. which is like the Vot companies like Disneyland's slash Six Flags amusement park. Okay. And uh, something I really enjoyed about season two that they're continuing with season three is that they're they're bashing a lot of uh, corporate wokeness. Uh, and and they continue it here. They they make these great these great gags. And uh, when they go to the theme park, you see uh, they go to the Botland's inclusive kingdom. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and you see all these rides and food and, and food and food stands that are just like. Really pandering towards uh, progressives. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even call them progressives. They're like center left moderates. They're like woke moderates. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it's just so. Yeah, Phil. Phil, you can see it say he's dying over some of this stuff. This Yo, that is hilarious. BML BLTs. So the first one is a food stand. They take that uh, the BLM Black Power hand. But it's holding up. It's holding a bacon lettuce tomato sandwich. That is hilarious. And then woke walk. That was my favorite, being Asian. So All it's right. uh, next one, yeah, woke walk, which is like an uh, an Asian food place, and there's rainbow flags and yeah, everywhere. L- LGB turkey legs. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> is like the the like pride. There's a there's a lot of pride colors in, in this amusement park. Apparently, yeah, there's the, like the turkey place that. LGBT turkey legs. <laughs> yeah, and then we and then, got, and then we got the Mexican food, right? So you got intersectional nachos and systemi- systematically oppressed tacos. Yeah, it's just this. And there's apparently another one that people are saying that I have to go back and verify. Um, watching the episode, but apparently there's like a, a shot of a pizza place that says uh, gender queer trans pizza pizzeria. <laughs> oh my goodness! And it is a perfect. Perfect satire, because this is like, you know, the company in charge of the boys, and if you've watched season two, they don't give a shit, obviously, about minorities or anything like that. They just want to appear progressive to sell to this this market. And I bring this up because we talked about this topic in uh, the Shang-Chi episode, for those who loyal listeners, that yes. um, we talk about basically what happens. And, you know, when people were like so... Like we should have more representation of of you know marginalized groups in our media and our art, 
But one of the big problems I have with like a certain segment of people is that they only want it on the most basic front. That's just on visibility. Right, it's, it's who, very very surface level rather than yeah, getting the people right who to the look room. like yeah people who look like you stuff as opposed to any sort of authentic live experience. This ain't nothing of like you know when you when you depoliticize it, you detach it from capitalism. You know, detach it from all these other elements, right? We talk about intersectional nachos here, right? <laughs> and you just and you just reduce it to just I just want to see people look like me. Well, this is what they're. This is basically what you get, right? And the reason why I want to bring this up, I'm gonna send you another link, Phil. Mm-hmm. Is the, the same earlier this week? <laughs> I swear to God, this is not real because this is the, this is the first week of Pride. Um, I'm gonna send you an image, Phil. The you know, Pride Week, everyone wants to show off that they're supporting LGBT representation, including all these corporations, even though they're like totally evil and whatnot. And this is this is I swear to God, this is real. The official Marine US Marine Corps Twitter tweet out their support for LGBT, the LGBT community by showing a picture of a Marine helmet with mm-hmm. rainbow colored bullets. Oh wow. Okay. And this is this is not fake. This is real, right? This is real. And just immediately, of course, everyone just leapt on them, saying, "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is this is your idea. Like, let's not even get into like the the, the U.S. military industrial complex, right? And and just just American imperialism and whatnot. Because we touched upon this too, remember? With the uh, yes, with the, the, woke, uh... the woke CIA ad, where they're like. Trying to show off how progressive they are by having this intersectional Latino of anxiety. It's like, are you? Do you have any idea how much they meddled with Latin America? Yes. So I just want to bring this up because, like, yeah, the same week the boys making fun of this, like, you have, you have the Marines doing this stuff. Oh my goodness! Like, this is this is very crazy. Um, you know, sometimes I sit there and wonder, like. The person they have to commission to do this Photoshop work, because I mean it's clearly Photoshop. They had they had to have asked the person like, "Are you sure? Absolutely sure this is the type of thing you want to go ahead and put out?" Yes, of course. You know, we have to show we have to show our support. Very militaristic, but but think about it. Are you sure you want to have rainbow colored bullets? Yeah, so on like, a I'm military sure, I, helmet. I feel like they have to point out. You know, there is like a meme about this, right? About like the if anyone's seen that meme, it's like a comic. I think it's from the name, but I'm not sure. It's like um, the bomber with the pride flag. With the pride flags, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's dropping. And then and I might be getting mixed up. There's like two different memes of like, there's a bomber with the pride flag. And then there's also the one where like, there's a country. I think it's I think it's just a country in the Middle East being bombed by like, but the but the personality of the plot happens to be a woman. Like, hey, we're, we're making history. We're being bombed by the first female, <laughs> first female bomber pilot. <laughs> No, I've never seen that one. I just remember the one with the uh, drone strike, and it was the drone was like BLM, and yeah, you know, and it's like, like this is, and pride this is, and rainbows. This is, is, and, and yet, you know, when people when they come up with stuff like this, it's just this is why this is what happens, people, when you don't demand enough from your representation, when you don't demand real change in your institutions, like they'll just. They'll just treat you as just another audience to sell to, you know. I mean, which which is which is so crazy because I mean, um, what was it? I was I was on some website working, 
I think I was on Figma. And then, like, once the clock struck midnight, the load, the loading bars turned rainbow color. I was like, what? I was like, damn, these people work fast. I was like, holy oh, crap. Man, you don't. We could, we could probably do an entire podcast on just, just like, corporate, crass commercials. Well, they call it rainbow capitalism. It's a term I learned. This crash commercialization of, of uh, LGBT and other progressive causes. Uh, causes. Yeah. Speaking of crass commercialism. <laughs> <laughs> we got something for you today. Dang, that was that was that was quite the gauntlet that had uh, to navigate. I kid, I kid. Not all of these are crass and commercial. <laughs> Some of these are actually pretty good. Yes, they are. So, and so this the next this month up until July, we're we're we the omnibus. We're talking the Iser nominations. We're gonna be talking. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna be discussing breaking down some of the Eisner nominated comics because for those who don't know, the Academy Awards for comics, except it's more based on merit, <laughs> and there hopefully won't be uh, comic creators slapping each other, slapping people in the face this year. Imagine that'd be crazy. We'll like, see. Dave, Dave Sim got nominated. So. <laughs> oh yo, imagine someone runs up and slaps Dave Sims. That'd be wild. Oh man! So um, we're gonna do something a little different than what we did last year because we last year we did a very thorough breakdown of certain categories, but because we're bi-weekly, we're gonna play a little more looser. Uh, we're just kind of kind of uh, we're still figuring it out. We're gonna change these from week to week, but for th- for this episode, uh, instead of just focusing on a specific category, we're just gonna talk about some uh, some selected nominees that uh, right. that we think are interesting. And it's a good chance for us to mix it up because normally we just talk about one comic for an episode, but it's a chance for us to like devote time to stuff that we do like that we do think are interesting, but they're just not enough to talk about a whole hour about. So we're gonna mix up with like uh, two to three, maybe even more titles for these Eisner episodes. Right, and of course because we have uh, such interesting schedules. I mean, it's fortunate enough that that the comics that we've been reading over the course of the year for the most part have been nominated for Eisner. So it just seemed right to make the choice of like, Hey, let's just talk about this. Cause you know, we never had the opportunity to, cause how can we talk about this one comic within the span of an entire hour? But luckily enough, right. The Eisners are here to help alleviate some of our heavy lifting as we, you know, do our research at libraries and consulting JSTOR to you know find the most appropriate comic for you all to listen to yep so before we get off we'll just i think we'll just take a little bit of time to talk about our general thoughts and observation about this year uh because there are a lot of interesting choices compared to i mean there's always interesting choices but i think uh, i think this really standout thing something you mentioned to me phil is that this year is a lot more diverse compared to last year yeah, oh yeah, way way more diverse compared to last year because last year was just a lot of a lot of white guys. Yes, and, um, and so I want to take a minute to point out because I'm sure there are a lot of people who are thinking there's like some kind of like white supremacist conspiracy. The Isers, that every Iser judge must have like KKK outfits in their closet. <laughs> That'd be like, oh, you know, look at look at this, look at this, look at this, you know, Oriental. Oh, get this person out of here, you know, woman. You know, they need to go back to the kitchen. It's not as simple as that. I wish it were that simple, you know. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of very liberal thinking people who think it is that simple. I, in reality, and I talked about it last year, I attribute to the fact that, well, you know, the nominees for, for 2020, that was your COVID hit and the whole 
industry was thrown to chaos. Right. So a lot of things got pushed back. So I mean, a lot of, just, yeah, a lot of titles got canceled. A lot of so you know it kind of makes sense that it would default to one of the more lesser known names, or the more well known creators right. who are going to be predominantly white males. Um, but see, that's that's a more insidious kind of like racism, sexism, etc. Right, not the obvious kind that you know people who want to watch Green Book and and want to go to Votland and be a walk. <laughs> it's like it's more insidious because that's systemic oppression, right? It's it's no one is being targeted specifically, but it's the system is designed in a way that certain groups are going to be disproportionately favored. But it right. seems that but now that like COVID and the industry is kind of bounced back, it seems to we got a lot more wider mix because there's a lot more it looks like there's a lot more female creators a lot more uh female creators a lot more uh uh, creators of color Mm -hmm. um like looking at well let's go ahead and start off with the first one right so let's look at best short story right we got funeral and foam by casey gilly and Raina telemeyer and you died uh yeah the iceberg anthology which also got a which also got a nomination for best anthology Right. So right right off the bat, we got Raina Telemeyer coming out strong uh, simply because we know her as the artist, author of like Ghost of Ghosts, Smiles, Smile. Sisters, yeah, uh, Drama, Club. Babysitter's Club. So a real, real heavy hitter right there. Um, Generations by Daniel Warren Johnson and Superman Red and Blue. Um, Daniel Warren Johnson. Is a name we see a lot on the uh, Eisner nominees because he's been nominated in a bunch of different things. For the most part, all mostly different because I think several of his books got nominated, which is really cool to see. Yeah, uh, and then a sneak preview for the next episode. Next Eisner episode is going to be all Daniel Warren Johnson. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm here for. Like, shout out to Daniel Warren Johnson. Now, here's something that's actually special because we actually know one of the nominees personally. Right. So, we- Trickster Trader Dummy Doll by Triple Dream, Mel uh, Hilario, uh, Katie Laguna, and Lauren Davis. All right, we know Lauren Davis from uh, time in grad school. She was in the cohort ahead of us. us. There we go. Thank you. All right, so shout shout out to Lauren. Congratulations on that that, uh, Eisner nomination. Shout out to you. Uh, You can't hear it, but I don't clap my hands. I bang my fists because that's how we do it. uh, Yeah, definitely. Congrats, Lauren. And you know, for me, it's coming from Sincere, because Lauren is one of the few people from CCA who did not turn out to be an asshole. Okay. <laughs> Someone I actually like. <laughs> uh, and the short story got published in the Nib of uh, Secrets. I, I quickly look at it. We, may, we could probably talk about it for a later episode. Mm-hmm. But it's like a, it's apparently it's like a nonfiction comic about, um, uh, I think it's the CIA, or maybe I think it's the CIA using sex dolls and like some kind of espionage strap. Yo, see, and that just gave me an idea. We need to do, well, maybe not you, but I'll probably do one about how the CIA sprinkled uh, crack cocaine in the black communities and then <laughs> come out with a Washington Post article saying that they didn't. I mean, you're like, yo, we know you did. So funny you mentioned this, not really a spoiler. So I'm just going to say it. they touch upon that in the boys. Oh, they do? Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on. Uh, we'll just go, we'll go through quickly just notable names and nominations. Um, you see, uh, best single issue, and these are two names that are later nominated, is Wonder Woman Historia, The Amazons, by Kelly C. DeConnick and Phil Jimenez. Yeah. And I think they each have a nominee for their respective categories of best writer. Um, and uh, best, best artist. artist. Yeah, right. writer. Yeah, inker artist. So shout, shout out to you, Phil. 
because you know he personally taught us at CCA. Yeah, he did. Look at that. Look yep. at that CCA out here, gang, gang. Jelly Sue, never met you, but I did see a seat reserved for you at the Hollywood Theater. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's the closest I've ever gotten to meeting her. All right, so best continuing series, right? We got Department of Truth back at it, you know, trying to trying to come back. It's it's you said no no sports references. I'm gonna make sports references, oh, all right? Goodness. So it's it's like uh, what's it called? It's like the NBA Finals. So this but this time around, Department of Truth is the let's say Boston Celtics. No, not Boston Celtics because I hate the Celtics. Let's say the the Golden State Warriors. There we go, Golden State Warriors. Right, and then we got Bitterroot back at it again. Let's go, David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, Stanford Green. All right, trying to trying to get that trying to get that ring. Yeah. All right. And then Immortal Hulk is back on it. All right, uh, Al Ewan, Joe Bennett. Uh, they've got a new one. This is beginning a lot of really good reviews. Good word. It's Nightwing by Tom Taylor, Bruno Redondo. Right. Uh, I say I've read it. As someone who's never read a Nightwing comic, this is actually pretty good. Okay. And from my understanding, they brought back uh, Nightwing Zeke's. I don't know what that means. His butt. Oh. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and then something is killing the children, which I think has been nominated before. Uh, I think so. I don't know, but I feel like this time around is way more like monumental, simply because of how much uh every everyone has been giving it so much praise. So I'm interested to see how that how that does. Yep. Then we got under best limited series, some of which we're gonna at least one or two we're gonna discuss. But good Asian shout out to Portzak Pinchot because we covered uh, his other comic Infidel. Infidel, yep. And then we got, uh, wait, what? I was just going to say, uh, I just want to apologize for butchering the name. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're always sorry because, like, whoo, God, no idea. But, you know, the, the, the love is still there, though. All right. Uh, we got Beta Ray Bill, Argent Star by Daniel Warren Johnson again. See? Another nomination, but in a different category, right? This time for uh, Marvel Comics instead of DC. So look at him playing both sides of the fence. I love it. All right. And then not only do we have that, but we also have uh, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow with uh, Tom King and uh, Bao Quicks Evely. I don't know how to pronounce the name. How do you pronounce the name? Squiss. Uh, I don't know. Bill Squiss. Bisquick? I assume it's I, I thought it was Bill Squiss Everly. I assume that's how you go. Oh maybe I don't know. Uh, again, another artist I thoroughly enjoy and love, but I'm I'm sorry for butchering your name. Um, I, I, I always hate when I have to do that because like you know as a teacher I have to sit there and do roll calls and it'll be like such and such and I was like yo did I say it right and they were like yeah you did I'm like yes but I have no one here to correct me so I just gotta I gotta roll with the punches. Yeah, let's go through these a little bit, pick it up, because I definitely want to get to our, the comics we're discussing. But yeah, uh, a lot of the kids' nominees are I noticed, but that's where a lot of the female creators are. Doesn't surprise me. Mm. Um, I do notice uh, Legend, of, Legend of Auntie Poe by Shingen Core, uh, best publication for teens. It's like a cartoonist, indie cartoonist I used to follow on uh, Twitter. Um, Mark Bernardin uh, got nominated too, who I know is like a co-host of Kevin this podcast oh wow and ariel uh chris Christantina, who is uh who i know from scad uh fellow scad alumni so shout out to shout out to her oh cool which which one is that 
that is the the one with the Mark uh, Burnett in. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, she's the artist on that. David F. Walker. Bitter Rue, but he's also got a Black Panther graphic novel. Uh, this is the one that's been drawing a lot of attention. Is <laughs> uh, Strange Death of Alex Raymond by Dave Sim and uh, Carson Gruber, which I'm assuming is the co-artist, maybe? I haven't. I don't know. I would I would assume the co-artist, or maybe Dave Sims just can't draw anymore. I don't know. I haven't I haven't looked at this book. So for those who don't know, Dave Sim, uh, major figure in the alternative indie comics movement, uh, kind of did a really landmark book series called Cerberus. Cerberus. Yeah, it's about like kind of a Conan the Barbarian parody, but it's it's an artwork instead of a dude, and then it just sort of takes on like a life of its own. Yeah, just it starts being this like you know sort of sort of gag cog to like this much more deeper, very introspective comic. And um, even did collaboration with the TMNT. Yeah, yep. Um, also, a very controversial figure to say the least, because part of his comic he goes off the rails of like these tangents about feminism and destroying society, and, uh, which is kind of where the point where I stopped reading the comic. Um, there was actually I was having a Twitter conversation with. Uh, CCA grad, um, mm. Joseph, who actually personally saw Dave Sim once at a comic store he used to go to in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And Dave Sim was just like having this crazy nervous breakdown and making homophobic slurs and the comic store, a, you know, just kind of had to gently escort him out and, and uh, Joe, Joe uh, canceled his description to his comics at that point. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, and apparently Dave Sim has just gotten crazier in recent years. He's like really homophobic, transphobic. Apparently, um, not really surprised, <laughs> you know. Um, but I, apparently, this comic has been getting really good reviews. So, really? Okay. Oh, wow. That's, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, moving on. Breast graphic memoir. Special shout out to Alison Bechtel because she's got a new book, Secret Superhuman Strength. Okay, and then uh, shout out to Nate Powell to be nominated in the same category twice. For Save It For Later, which I could have sworn was nominated last year. Mm. And uh, the sequel to his most popular book, uh, March, with John Lewis, um, the called Run. So, like, uh, about the story of John Lewis running for uh, Senate. I mean, Senate? No, not Senate. Uh, Congress. Congress, yeah. Uh, you know. Adaptation, John Jennings, shout out to you. Yeah, you got another, it's like the fifth year in a row <laughs> you got nominated with After the Rain by uh, Nidhi Okofora. Yes, Nettie. Nettie Okofora. Um, some manga, some good shout outs, because one of which we're going to talk about today, Kaiju number eight. Natu Matsumoto, Ms. Media, Spy X Family, which I started reading and I got really into. Very good anime as well. Okay. Um, anything then, else you want to talk about? Uh, anything let's else, go to, anything else you want to shout out? Uh, let's see. Best shout out to best web comics we got. Uh, Batman Wayne Family Adventures. Because everyone would think that, oh, wait, nobody wants to see a slice of life comic about Bruce Wayne's adopted family, but you're wrong. Yep, and that's going to be one of the comics we're talking about today. Alec Longstreth, uh, former CCA professor, Isle of Elsie, nominated again. Congrats to you. Right, and then we got Lore Olympus by uh, Rachel Smythe, probably one of the most popular web comics. I think it's probably, I think it's safe to say the popular comic yeah. on webtoons because I was looking at it, it's got a billion views. 
Oh, wow. That's crazy. Like a billion. Wow. I don't even know anything that has a billion views. Yeah, a billion views. That is nuts. Taff is comic, too. Nah, Vieira, like a butterfly. Uh, really kind of cool, because I actually work with a translator. Um, it says translation got Christiana Lee, but she just started it, and then another translator took over. Mm-hmm. Um, Helen Cho, who I work with her on Pen and the Neth. Very good translator. Okay. Uh, so that's really cool. Um, anything else? Anything else you want to say before we get right? Before we start getting to our our choices, our our topic for today. Uh, I I think no, that's it. Honestly, just you know, shout out, shout out to all those people that were that we've mentioned, and I mean, of course, there's there's a, a whole bunch of other people we haven't mentioned on here, but like, shout out to you as well, simply because like y'all made it on the list. Y'all got a nice little blurb to stick on the front of your 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 uh, graphic novel. So I yep, love to see and- it. Still have to vote. I still have to vote. Apparently, deadline's on the eighth. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know if I'm gonna vote because I haven't really read a lot of these yet as much as I should. So I feel like the people who do vote, like they really don't. They just like, all right, cool. Like it's except like, manga. Vote. I'm gonna, I, I know my manga vote, so I'm gonna I'm gonna vote in that category at least. Of course, you're gonna pick uh, Spy X Family. Hey, it's really good. All right, we're gonna be talking about that one later. Later, <laughs> get to that later. So we're gonna. Uh, for this, we are going to talk about three different comics today. Um, so we're going to be talking about Laura Olympus, Rachel Spice Webtoon, Kaiju Number Eight, the manga nominee, and the Batman Family Mentors Webtoon. Is that what's called? Yes. All right. I just thought it's the Batman Webtoon. So which one do you want to start off on first? Uh, let's go ahead and start off with Batman, actually. Yeah, let's start off with Batman. Yeah, that's a good lead-off. Um, I feel like these are probably going to be the two, between this, the, the, the winner is going to be kind of this or Laura Olympus, I think. Um, I feel like it's a thousand percent sure going to be Laura Olympus. Thousand percent sure. I mean, I think this is the year. I think that's the fair. I think this is the year for, for Rachel Smythe, but, you know, Batman has a name, as a brand name. But... We'll talk about this right now. We put on my phone. So, something about webtoon. Oh is wait, that, sure. Share my screen. So the thing about webtoon is that they, in recent years, um, I think the the big publishers have taken notice of the audience and the readership for this. And so they 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 like Archie has an Archie as official Archie webtoon. It's um big Ethel energy. I think it was what it's called. Yes. Yeah, it's about Ethel. Um, uh, Marvel. There's an Eternals comic from Marvel. Uh, there's a Vixen comic that just started on uh, from DC. Yes, uh, what, last week. Yeah. Yeah. What Vixen and Batman Wayne County Adventures have in common is that they're they are less superhero comics and more slice of life, uh, which kind of makes sense given the readership for webtoons. Webtoon webtoons are general, but specifically webtoon. Uh, but like we talked about last time, the Taps episode, it's like heavily female, uh, mm-hmm. young female. Uh, like there's a lot of romance, a slice of life comics. And something about this, um, I did not cut, I don't really read slice of life comics. Uh, I'm assuming you don't either, Phil. It depends. It, de- yeah. it really depends. Yeah, but you wouldn't say you're heavy, you're really heavy into the genre, are you? No, I wouldn't. Like I think yeah. the, my, it would be like Bakuman. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. I but I ended up really enjoying I ended up really enjoying this comic. Um, I would say though, and you can tell me if you agree with this. Mm-hmm. I think this is less about getting Batman people 
into webtoons than it is more about getting webtoon people into Batman. Yes, I, I, that's what exactly what I say. Because um, reading it, like especially the first episode, which I'm gonna go ahead and pull up. Um, moving in, right? Because we get introduced to Duke, who is one of the newer uh Batman-related heroes. He yeah. uh, goes by Signal. He was introduced in I want to say 2014, 20 yeah 20 2014 2013. Um, during that Joker run in Batman New 52, where he, uh, him and a bunch of like other uh, teenagers in Gotham, started to uh, fight crime as vigilantes of like Robins called We Are Robins, um, but then ended up getting metahuman powers, which I still don't quite understand. Um, I would have to reread his comic. Um, and now he runs around in a yellow suit and goes by Signal, which is interesting. And I'm assuming it's because that book didn't really sell very well, but they wanted to use that character more, so they put him in the Batman books proper. It wasn't so much that it didn't sell, it was a limited series. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know it was in that kind of awkward period between, like, New 52 and Rebirth. So. Yes, that's that's exactly what happened. And um, there's no... So, but the greatest comic is that there's no real ongoing plot. It's just you're just kind of hanging out. Um, mostly with the Bat... You do... You, Mostly with the Bat family, you get some issues focused on Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. slash Batman, but it's mostly focused on the the other characters, the the sidekicks. Right, pretty much them. So like we get to see uh, Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, uh, Tim Drake, Tim Drake Stephanie Damian Brown. Wayne, Stephanie Brown, Cassandra Cain, uh, Barbara Gordon. Uh, I can never remember a Batwoman's little, real name. A little, little bit of Kate Kane. Kate Kane, thank you. Yeah, a little, um, bit, little bit of her. A little bit of, like, one or two episodes on, on Selena Kyle, but not much. Right. And I think my favorite aspect of this webcomic is Alfred Run Things. Like, not Bruce Wayne. Alf- it's Alfred's house. Yeah, yeah just living it. It makes sense, because Batman, Batman is busy being Batman. But in terms of, like, the actual running of the house, it's Alfred. <laughs> right. And, um... And what's what I really think, what I really enjoy about this is that um, it's designed so you don't need to be a heavy Batman reader. You don't need to know all the continuity. Like if you're coming from Webtoons, you can just jump right in. Uh, you know, you, just, you it sort of assumes a little bit you know who, who these characters are uh, because they don't spend a lot of time explaining them. But even if you don't know them, like I didn't know who the signal guy was, you get you, you can enjoy it either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are a Batman fan, if you do come from from that world, there are a ton of great jokes and references because um, it's self-contained, but it, it does. I think it is in line with current Batman continuity. Uh, kind of, sort of ish. Like it, like totes and plays on the line between uh between like uh DC continuity as well as zone as well as like other continuities. Of Batman's, I think it's just like a, a hodgepodge of it all, and yeah, it but, somehow but makes it work. Like, it definitely like it doesn't like forget about kind of like there's there's a great panel, there's a great chapter. I don't remember which one it was, but they talk about like how many, which one of them have died, you know, x x amount of times, like multiple multiple members of them have died a bunch of times. They all have different identities in the past, um, but it definitely keeps track to the continuity. I think there's a great chapter. If you try to pull it, if you remember, where like there's like a challenge they have to do, and the loser, the punishment is they have to wear Nightwing's own outfit. 
Oh, yes, I know exactly which chapter you're referring to. Yeah, his, like, really garish, like, outfit from the 70s, from 80s. The, from the 80s. Yeah, this was, so there's a, there's well, a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, good, Batman. Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of great gags and Easter, Easter eggs for people who have been reading Batman for a long time. I think the thing you will appreciate, they will appreciate the most, but for both audiences, but especially heavy Batman readers like me and Phil, is that this has a really funny sense of humor, and it's not afraid to like kind of poke fun at some of the Batman mythos and whatnot. Because uh, you don't really, Batman doesn't really get to be funny in DC Comics. No, he does not. He's not allowed to. Yeah, and it definitely doesn't get funny in any of the movies or TV shows. Well, TV right. Shows the TV, I mean, the Adam West show, but... You yeah, know, yeah, mean, and Brave and the Bold. But like yeah. the, the, the the chapter that it hooked me, the chapter that it had me on, uh, was I want to say it's episode four. Mm-hmm. It's when a uh, Batman is, uh, Batman is trying to figure out which one of his safe houses is setting off the alarm. Ah uh, yes, and, and it was it's, uh, it's, Jason Todd. It's Jason Todd, and when they first meet up, what they what do they do? And this kind of sets the tone for the comic. They do a nice homage to the Spider-Man fighting me. Even down to like, there's the crate right there. And there's like, the the blank warehouse walls. Yes. And uh, that's great. That's the thing. It's like they're not afraid to poke fun with Batman, Jason Todd, these characters who are normally very dour and serious. Um, I would like to equate it to the Harley Quinn cartoon. Is that nothing is sacred? They're, they don't hold any characters like so up on a pedestal, and like they're not afraid to like poke fun and mess around. With any of the characters are are DC mythos. Yes, uh, which is which is actually really cool because you know it it brings a levity to such a overly serious character. Like, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, right? Like, you love Batman, you love Batman. Like, I used to love Batman. I mean, I still like Batman, but not as much. It was like, yeah, Batman, you know, punching crime and blah blah blah. Now it's more like, all right, yo, you know, rich guy in a bat costume. That's that's cool, I guess. Um, but here, here's the panel you were referring to, Eric. Yeah, yeah, episode four. Uh, yeah, the great pointing meme. And yeah. this is that's what that got to quote uh, Django Unchained. They have my attention, but where they won me over, they made me a fan for life, and they got my interest. Is in episode six, two episodes later, titled Favoritism. Okay. This is this is my favorite one of the whole series. Is they're going through like uh, Batman. Is noticing that all the members of his bad, of his bad family are wearing Justice League memorabilia, uh. <laughs> but not a single one, or not a single one chose Batman memorabilia. <laughs> it's like uh, Dick Grayson. Is it Dick Grayson or Tim Drake? Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson's wearing a Superman hoodie. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jason Todd's wearing Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman. Tracksuit. Uh, Barbara Gordon's got black canary shirt. Uh, I think is that Duke. Duke has got flash sneakers. Flash. Yeah. Uh, and and he's just getting so mad and so petty and so jealous. <laughs> which is a side of Batman we never get to see. True. Which is which is very interesting because it's like you know Batman is always playing the straight man in this, but here like him playing the straight man is like played up for levity and I actually enjoyed it. Yeah, the best one is that like uh, she, she, he sees Stephanie Brown drinking a Green Arrow bottle. <laughs> He's like, Green Arrow, Stephanie, really? Like, come on, you have no powers. He fights with, you know, just tools. Like, I do that. 
<laughs> and of course, it ends, it ends with the best part, which is that he's at a meeting with the Justice League, which is a rare thing because you don't see a lot of the other superheroes in this comic. True. And it goes, Superman whispers to Green Arrow, does Batman look broodier than usual? <laughs> he's, just, he's just standing there with his arms crossed, looking all mad. Yeah, and Green Arrow goes, like, you know, he, he looks normal to me. So Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, this is this is a just a really I was really taken back by how much I enjoy this. But on top of that, like it's not just all gags. Like there is actual real heart to this because a lot of these characters, it's not you don't see any superhero action. It's all focused on their uh, relationships with each other and their like kind of struggles with daily life. Um, there's a lot of dating, a lot of dating. It's like you see Duke Thomas dealing with like. His crush, you see Tim Drake dealing with his boyfriend. I see yeah. some guys from uh, Kate. Yeah, and he's like, oh, he's you know, holding hands. I'm not ready. I'm not that, that there yet. Uh, mm-hmm. What I really like is, um, and this is where it's, it's a nice fusion of like slice of life, but with the Batman specific stuff is Cassandra Cain, um, who, who has the ability to read body language. I guess I'm not I'm not very familiar with Cassandra Cain. Yes. So before she can talk, she understood body language. So she knew what the opponent was supposed to do before they even made the move. So that's how she's like, you know, an elite fighter trained by her assassin father. But there's a nice like spotlight episode is that she can't turn that off. So she's always really body language, even when she doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. So it makes her hard for her to interact with like casual friendships and whatnot. Because there's a thing where like, um, you know, she see she sees um. Stephanie is, like, really upset. It's like, Stephanie, what's wrong? You know, is something wrong? Because she naturally thinks she's in trouble. I know what it was was that Stephanie just, like, failed her test because she overslept and she has to retake her class. But he's like, well, I was trying to forget it, but thank you for bringing it up. And it's, it's a nice touch is that this, this, this is, like, you know, friendship conflict, which is pretty typical in this type of genre. But it comes from a very Batman-specific thing is that she's got this ability that she can't turn off, and we see how it's affecting her uh, in her daily life, and not turning her, and she has to, she has to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Right, and then um, just before we transition to the the next comic, I think one of my my favorite uh, comic is uh, Too Much Information or TMI, where Batman and Catwoman are chasing each other, like, oh, yeah. being, being super flirtatious, but like the comms are open, so like all the kids are like, "Ew, gross." Yeah, I feel like that's like um, that's like an homage to like Tom King's run because that's where he played up their relationship a lot. Yeah. Um, special shout out before we go on because I I forgot to do that. We should I mean, we should, we should, we're, we're the credit the the create the creative team. Oh yes. So and it's interesting because I think these are all a lot of these are synonyms, I, or or like pen names. So I don't know who they are. But inks Starbite writing CRC Payne. Storyboards, which is an interesting thing you see a lot in Webtoon specifically, that mm-hmm. uh, I'm assuming it's like this is someone who focuses on like the, the panel layout. They focus on the panel layout as well as like the direction of the uh, the comic is going to go. Yeah. Maria Lee, backgrounds of Wendering, Lon Ma, Flats, Gene Kim. It's nice that give a shout out to the Flatter. All right. Lettering, Kiyomo Sabo, Productions, Susan Chang, Will Kennedy. Uh, it's kind of interesting because uh, Webtoon, from what I know, they're they have a they have their own separate production department, which is they're making their own originals as opposed to like usually they go to a creator and help them. 
Mm. Uh, they're making their own originals on their own licensed comics. So they have kind of, they're starting to move in the direction of like Marvel and DC where they have like a production line team for comics. I thought it was just, it's, it's just I think it's an interesting thing because this is, I, I will bet dollars have done this. We're going to see more of these type of comics in the future. Oh yeah, definitely. That way, definitely. I mean, even with the the a uh, couple of other original originals that moved from canvas to original, like because they're able to make money, they're able to hire assistants. Because they're able to hire assistants, they're able to you know produce the comic on time, which is a which we tend to see within the uh, Japanese manga realm. Yeah. So what a surprise me. We see a lot more uh, publishers take notice of the webtoon space and they put out their own licensed comics and we're going to see more of this like assembly line production stuff mm-hmm. so to say on the topic of webtoons let's talk about the other big nominee laura mm-hmm. olympus for rachel Smythe, easily the most popular comic uh on webtoon uh premise is that they i think she calls it this is basically the greek gods after dark quote unquote yes yeah and it's basically it's a retelling of the myth of Hades and Persephone, of like Persephone becoming Hades' wife, uh, wife. but it's retold in like uh, a modern context that they all uh, they're still gods. They still have their like divine attributes, but they're more like they're, they're you know they're going to parties. They're you see limousines, you know they live in modern looking houses, and that's mm-hmm. what Olympus is like. Uh, you can feel free to agree with me or not to because I want to try to communicate the premise to people. Okay. A good analog, which I would argue is like uh, the Disney Hercules movie, <laughs> in that it's like a Greek myth, but it's very 90s culture and jokes and the way people talk and all that. Right. Well, versus this is being way more modernized. So, I mean, no, I I, I agree with that, um, with that assessment. Yeah. yeah, so essentially it's a contemporary romance version of this ancient Greek myth. Oh, yes, I was going to say that um, not only uh, does Rachel Smith have Lore Olympus on Webtoons, right, but the physical uh, bound copy of it was just released uh, two months ago, actually, and you can buy it wherever books are sold, because I think I went to Target to go uh, window shop, because that's what I do at Target, and I saw Lore Olympus in their book section. Wow, I... The fact that it's a target, that's big. Yeah, I actually, I went to Pals last week over Memorial Day weekend, and I saw copies of it. And I was flipping through it, because I wanted to see how they laid it out physically. Uh-huh. It was a lot of interesting choices. And that's something you're, that's when things are starting to move into. Like, they're really popular comics are getting physical versions. Uh, it was really interesting to see, like, a comic that was originally designed for the digital space and how they decided to lay it out for... Uh, especially a vertical scroll space right. that they can sit uh, physical page dimensions. A lot of unsurprisingly, there's a lot of empty space, <laughs> a lot of white space, a lot, lot of, lot of empty space, a lot of yeah. Space. But there were some really interesting arrangements. It's, it wasn't like your standard by like you know six panel grid and whatnot. It was mm-hmm. it was really interesting. Um, if I I didn't I don't have a lot of money, so I didn't buy the physical copy. But that's something you could probably do a deeper dive later on. Maybe someday. Um, right. The thing for me about Laura Olympus, I really enjoyed this comic a lot, and I'm not a big romance guy. I was just instantly caught by the art style. Yes, very, very cool. Like, it's simple, but like at the same time has a lot of depth to it because um, this watercolor brush 
uh, coloring that's that's happening for these uh, characters, right? Because I think each uh, god is represented by their own personal color, right? Like Hades, I believe, is blue. Yeah, and a lot of um, it's full color, but every scene is really only like two or three colors at most. Right. So like, and there's uh, a lot of blue because I think that's how Olympus is 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 uh, represented. But right. yeah, each 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 uh, divine being just has their own predominant color. So there's a lot of like very stark contrast. Um, how would you describe the art style? I I really like it. it's very simple, but it's also very expressive. Yes. Um. I think I I I want to assume right that uh, Rachel Smith has like some sort of background in animation because of how expressive uh, her characters are, right? Because, for example, this scene right here where we see Hades on the phone with um, Min- Minith. I, yeah. I don't know Greek mythology like yeah, that. Yeah, she's, uh, she's like a demigod or nymph. I'm, I'm not super familiar. Most, yeah. of my, most of my Greek god knowledge comes from Stargate. So. Oh, see, mine comes from Hercules. That's so. here. There we go. Um, not just Hercules, but the Kevin Sorbo's uh, Hercules <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, the art is art is really good. Um, tell me, though, there's not it's not there's no outlines I can tell. No, right? it's, it's mostly it's color on color. Mostly it's color on color. It's very uh, the way I like to. It's again, this is not an insult or anything, but like the way my brain figures it out, it's almost like um south park style of like um construction paper like on top uh building on top of each other yeah yeah or uh, samurai jack samurai jack is another example yeah yep. there's like they're like kind of sort of the art sounds like a lot of like there's some angular angularity to it i mm-hmm. think there's it feels like there's an influence of like 60s cartoons 60s animation Right, which is which is why I, I think that this is what which is why I said before I think that Rachel Smith has a uh, background in animation. Yeah, which uh, also reminds me actually of Nitty, uh, our professor Nitty Chiani's her her not her comic art but her illustration art style. Illustration very, art style, yeah, very, very similar to this. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely a very digital style as well. Oh yeah, definitely like digital art style, but at the same time I like how it feels almost as if this was done traditionally as well yeah there's a there's a lot of like hand brushing and and little like little textures and stuff yeah a lot of of good texture to the art um something also really interesting is that it's not just an update of the myth in terms of a modern setting but it's also revamping a lot of the the characters and gods in like a more contemporary setting so like I don't know if you're. I don't know how familiar you are with the, the original myth, though. Uh, I just know that Hades kidnapped Persephone. Demeter, her mother, was like, "Yo, what's going on?" But yeah, yeah, and it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like the kind of the creation myth of like why spring. like the seasons. Yeah, because yeah, like you know winter and then spring. Um, obviously that's not. You know, uh, you're gonna fall in love with your kidnapper. That's not. That, that's a little problematic these days. So yes. what, what's really kind of nice is that Rachel Smith reinterpreted as um, these people, her these these people who are jealous of Persephone. Uh, I think they get her drunk and they no, she gets drunk and they, they leave her in the back of Hades' car to like try to embarrass her, and then he doesn't find out until he gets home, and then Buggy's like, well, I can't, I'm not gonna just leave this girl pass out of my car, so he carries her gently into his home, 
Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the like kind of the nod to you know that that original myth because otherwise their relationship is more reinterpreted to be more because it's obviously more consensual more consensual way more consensual and they're like actually getting to know each other and falling in love with each other first yes and also the big thing is that uh none of the characters are related to each other like like in the greek myths everyone's just like everyone's everyone's related to each other and, and they're all and they're all sleeping and fucking with each other literally uh, zeus like there's some like, if you know the story about, like, Zeus, you know, he raped a woman in the form of a goose. A, a swan. A swan. None of that stuff. I mean, there's still sexual assault in this comic. But, yeah, the, the gods, they're not as such assholes. And they're mostly not as huge assholes as they are in this comic. All right. And the thing, especially with uh, Hades, because we mostly, a lot of uh, myths and source material that likes to be closer to the tone of the myth. He's like, you know, the god, the underworld. He's morbid. He's deaf. This one, he's more of like the kind of like misunderstood guy, <laughs> you know, that like the tall, dark, brooding guy that every girl wants to fall in love with. And he's like in this toxic, abusive relationship with Mynth and like the comics about him getting out of it and eventually getting with Persephone. Right. Which is, which is such a unique way of uh, doing it. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, very cool, very cool art style. Not as not a story that I would go out of my way to read, but because I started reading it, I I can honestly say I'm hooked. How would you? What would you say about yourself, Eric? Yeah, for me, it's, it's the art style does a lot of the heavy lifting, but there's enough. You care enough about the characters to like uh, get past a lot of the the usual tropes and whatnot. And it's not, you know, it, it avoids a lot of the cliches I dislike about the genre. Just like you know. Oh, you know, they like ran into each other and like there's misunderstandings and, like, oh, I have to make sure you, I have to make sure you just need to find out that I like him, that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, something I really like, the episode where it got me hooked mm-hmm. was I think it's the episode with is it Cupid or Eros? I think it's Eros. It's episode eleven, I wanna say. Episode eleven. This is like great panel of like Eros flying and his wings are spread out. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, I want to say it's episode 12 or 11, but maybe I could be wrong. Uh, it's a great... Maybe it's 21. I don't know. This is, I, got lost. I, I read all these episodes like really quickly. Yeah, I mean, they start to blur in with each other. And, and that's just kind of how the web 2 is reading us with the vertical scroll. Uh, but yeah, it's just a gorgeous panel of him like spread out on his wings. Because mm. um, there's like a subplot of him like uh, trying to get this moral of the was it Aphrodite? Right, Aphrodite is like Aphrodite. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, 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 maybe you can try to find it later. Um, but yeah, it's a really, it's a really gorgeous comic. It's definitely not a bad place to start uh, if you want to dip your toe in the webtoons. Uh, I'm still ongoing. Uh, yeah, still 197 episodes it looks like. Yeah, it is, and I think they're uh, sorry, 200 the, episodes more or less. About to hit the end of their uh, this season, I guess. Because only three, I only see three episodes left on the uh, Fast Pass, which I think is a very bad idea. But you know, yeah, I'm like not. I, I really dislike the Fast Pass. I'm trying to get through a horror comic, but it annoys me because past <laughs> past seven episodes is all Fast Pass. Yeah. All right. Anything Anything else before we move on to the next one? Uh, no. Just you know, like kids draw comics there we go there is one thing i will say that kind of that kind of bugs me about this comic if i have one critique mm-hmm. is that it's a very sexy comic 
there's a lot of sexy situations, which is weird because it's getting an adaptation specifically for YA. It's getting an animated adaptation specifically for teenagers. Yes. Which I thought was a weird choice. And there's a lot of sexy situations. There's some heavy stuff. But, like, Rachel Smythe feels need to censor out all the profanity. Which is like, that's a really very strange decision there. Right. I mean, because I feel like YA, especially, like, graphic novel-wise, in this weird space between, like, adult and, like, children... Because, I mean, like, who they're targeting is, like, you know, someone who is transitioning from the adolescence into adulthood. So it, it has to, like, play this balance of a fine line b- between the two things. I mean, the biggest example I could think of would be, uh, what's their face? Uh, Tilly Walden. And mm-hmm. not just um, in both spinning and in um, on, what's the, what's the other comic? On a sunbeam. Uh, on a sunbeam, yeah. Yeah, where you know we had, uh, you know, Tilly Walden, right? Spinning was a memoir talking about certain instances um, of her life, which were, I, I would say, pretty heavy, right? That um, if a child were to read something like that, but if it's a teenager, right, and you know they would be able to help identify and they'd be like, oh, I should, I should do this, right? Same thing with while on a sunbeam is more like sci-fi fiction heavy. But, you know, it deals with, uh, I don't know, I guess there are some adult situations that happen. So, a a, a little bit. Not nothing really heavy. But I just find it weird that, you know, you're presumably that your readership, you're, you're training them mature enough to handle, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, sexualized situations because there's a lot of characters, men and women, undress. But you, you, you trust them to handle that, but you know, you have to censor out your F-bombs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, she's not the only one that does it, because another story I read on here, uh, yeah, un- is, unordinary, they they do the same thing, too. Which is something, they, like, violent. It just, yeah, that's the thing, is that, like, oh, you know, it's like that meme for community, you know, it's like, I can excuse racism, but I draw the line of amateur cruelty. Hey. <laughs> it's like, uh, oh, I, I can excuse, you know, nudity and, and, and heads get cut off, but I draw the line seeing profanity. Including profanity is like, uh, what? Yeah, it's yeah. just, it's a weird choice. It's, oh, it's there it is. is. There, there it is. It's Elias, the next, and our last one, to talk, go back to a physical comic. All right. Kaiju number eight. Uh, you're more familiar with this than I am, so why did you take it from your film? Yes, all right. So, uh, Kaiju number eight, if you don't know, um, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I feel like we have because we did an episode where we talked about Godzilla. Um, I'm a big fan of Kaijus. Kaijus, Kaijin, you know, anything anything with the, the adjective kind of front. I, I'm a big fan of, essentially. Um <laughs> And Kaiju number eight is a fictionalized version of Japan where Kaiju not just run around in Japan, but they're all over the world. And um, the Japan Self-Defense Force has has their own section of, like, Kaiju hunters. Um, The main character... um, Well, not just hunters, because that's, like, the glamorous job. There's also the unglamorous Kaiju cleaners. Right, which I was about to mention. The main (laughs) character, uh, Kafka... He is a kaiju cleaner who ends up being infected by some sort of kaiju uh, drone, which apparently gives him the ability to become 
a kaiju. Well, yeah. a, well like like a humanoid kaiju. A humanoid kaiju because he doesn't grow or anything, but he has unbelievable strength. And but he also at the same time remains uh re- retains his humanity. So his goal and dream is to join the the kaiju hunters in order to um work under his childhood friend. Yeah, but at the same time keeping his like kaiju nature a secret. Right, which is I think it was very very cool and I mean it's a I'm, I'm a sucker for can, manga, so the art style so, like sucked me in. So you can tell me if I'm off base with this, but it feels very the premise feels very uh, attack a attack on Titan. Isn't that basically what Attack on Titan is like? Uh, these, these monsters attacking the main character can turn into titans, and he has to work with the military to beat the titans. I know it goes deeper. I know I know it goes deeper and past that, but I, am I wrong in saying there is some similarity? No, you. I wouldn't like when you're describing it like that. No, you're not wrong. There are similarities with that, but the only difference I'll say with Attack on Titan versus this is like we mentioned before, uh, Kafka stays in like a humanoid form. Also, that Attack on Titan. This is more of a action comedy. I'd argue. Yes, it's action Attack- with comedic moments. While yeah, Attack, Attack on Titan, Titan is. It's, it's definitely not a comedy. <laughs> yeah, very, very serious. It has funny moments, but no, it tends to play it very straight overall. And I would argue that Attack on Titan is a is a mecha, is a mecha series. Uh, okay, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I guess. You I mean, think about it, right? It's it's uh, you know people human humans inside of inside of giant bodies. It just so happens that these giant bodies are are made of flesh. Right? right, but they're still controlling them from the inside. Okay, okay. you talk, I never read the manga, and I stopped after like six episodes. I'm I mean, sorry, I couldn't. I, I couldn't get into the show. All right, they they lost me when they were running in the, running away in the forest, and it's just the same background for like twenty minutes. I'm just like, people said this is really good animation. Like, what the hell? Oh my goodness! You know, sometimes you gotta cut corners. Anyways, back to manga. Um, one thing I will agree: the art style is very good. Um. It's very action based. It's, you gotta get that kinetic, expressive energy. Yes. Uh, which is very good at that. Um, I will say there were, and it might have been, it might be because I was reading on a phone for part of it. There mm. were some times I was a little confused reading between panel to panel, uh, with the kind of the choreography and where where things were, or were like the fault, like you know, oh here's a punch, and it, but we don't quite see the follow through, mm-hmm. or like the punch landing, we only see the reaction. There were times where the clarity was a little was a little missing for me, okay. but in terms of like the illustration, the expressiveness, the action, it was it flows really well. Mm. Okay, uh, for me, I didn't. I feel like I didn't really have that type of problem because I mean, I initially started reading this on the phone. And again, and again, it could be that I was on a phone for initially. I I eventually and I went and bought the first two volumes in print. Okay, and then once having the first two volumes in print, how how did the action feel for you then? It, it definitely read a lot better. Part mm-hmm. of it, I think, it's not optimized for the phone, so you're like, a lot of double page spreads. It's like you have to scroll, you have to scroll, you have to scroll back. Yeah, pretty much you have to scroll back and forth to make yep. sure you get to see the yeah. whole picture. So 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 I would argue this is much better to read physically because then you don't have to do that with the double page spreads. True, or you could. You know, get a big tablet like a iPad or Microsoft yes, Surface. Yes, if you, if you can afford one, yes. Or you, double spend, screen. or you can spend twenty dollars. You can spend ten dollars per volume. Go to your local comic store. Seven oh, yeah. dollars on your tablet. You can do that too. You know. I will say something is really I do like is they're very the artist is very detailed on drawing the kaiju. Yes, he is. Uh, yes, he, yes, he is. 
Yeah, you, mean, you uh, put a pull up picture of a corpse somewhere. Uh, matter of fact, I'll go back to the couple. Here we go. Yeah, it's super, super detailed on drawing the scales and the organs and very little reminds me of Jeff Darrow in in the way the the manga approaches the the kaiju. Right, and I mean, I think Jeff Darrow himself is like kind of inspired by uh, Japanese manga. Uh, I think in particular, like, I'm trying to think, uh, like, I mean, of course, there's, uh, Katsuhiro Otomo, um, there's, uh, Shiro, um, what's his name, the guy who did Ghost in the Shell? Um, Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, I can't, Shiro, I'll look it up later. Crap, I, I'm blinging on the name, but the guy who did Ghost in the Shell, so like things like that. So like, of course, you know, it, it art influences everything, and it all comes back. It's it's a giant circle. So you know, you got the Masa, West Masa Mugishiro, Ghost Thank the Shell. you. So you have the East inspired by the West, the West inspired by the East, right? And it all just comes and all just comes together, right? Enhancing everybody's style, which I love to see. Um, let me go ahead and skip a little bit over. So here we have these hunters showing up. Uh, the third, the third division, right? Because apparently there's a tiger, but as you continue on, we never see this tiger again, which is kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. confusing. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but here we have this this shot of this kaiju that uh was pretending to be dead, but then you get little hints of like its vertebrae, right? Gray matter, um, bat, uh, internal yeah, organs, that, that things like that. Blown, that's just being blown by someone off screen, which. They, they All right. reveal the kaiju defense force right which is which is so so cool and i really i really like um the main character's design as well so it looks it looks uh the humanoid kaiju form mm-hmm. it's a All very right. good it's a very good contrast to uh kind of the antagonist we see later on which is another humanoid kaiju uh and it's much more alien looking yeah, it's, like, it's got like the big flat disc head. The flat disc head. It has no eyes. It has no nose. All it has yeah. is a mouth. Jo- so, yeah, but but like there's no lips. It's got this big like death jaw. That's just like really alien looking. You contrast it to the main character's humanoid kaiju form, which is much more human looking in its I think in its proportion and its appearance. Yes, because um, like here, right? I have on the screen where this kaiju fly comes into the hospital because right right after we saw uh showing the 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 kaiju that they were trying to clean up getting killed by the uh third division right uh kafka and his partner they end up in the hospital fly comes in kafka's thrown aback he's like i found you and flies into his mouth and he ends up turning into uh kaiju number eight right so kaijus themselves when they receive a number is supposed to be referring to like you know the strength of said kaiju so only kaijus who are super strong get um denominate get done get deemed a number um and kafka ends up being uh number eight uh and here you see his you know nice little hero shot of him transforming Oh well, after his transformation into yeah. Kaiju number eight, it's got like a skull, but it looks more like a mask, right? And, yes. And, like it, it's like this is, I'm, like I was gonna say, I wonder this potential. Like you could, this looks like this looks like a design that someone could cosplay <laughs> a lot more easier than the, than the antagonist Kaiju human. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Wait, oh man, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you really could, like, you know, get get really clever. And I think, you know, the uh, spine here in the back of the the dorsals, kind of. I think he was like, you know, doing a little bit, a little splash of Godzilla in there too. Yeah, yeah. But like, other than that, and like the mask and the claws and whatnot, it's fairly human looking. Yes. Very human looking. So I have a question for you. I want to hear your opinion. So the art is really, really good. I'm not going to give any question on that other than, like, clarity issues. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, where it fell a little bit short is the writing and the story. It is not in of itself bad, but I did feel it's very stock. Like, somewhat typical action manga, sh- a little bit shonen type. Like, this is guy, you know, he's got he's got number one goal to be the best at something. He's got to make it in. And, you know, but he's like a loser, right? He joins the best where he's like the, the lowest loser. You know, he has to work his way up. So it's like it's it's not bad in of itself, but it's like you know, it's not it's not groundbreaking, it's not doing anything new. So mm-hmm. how did you feel reading it started? Uh I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from, but at the same time though, I'm I'm always here for a good time. So if the art style is good and like the action scenes are dynamic I'm kind of willing to give the story a pass on what it's trying to do, even if it's like a little copy and paste. Because I know that like in the very beginnings of um, these stories, it tends to, you know, have like a general view that we see time and time again. That's but the a premise good point. is like, a little different. Yeah, a lot of mangas, they tend to be pretty cliche in the beginning. <laughs> they, they stick to a lot of genre conventions and it's only, <clears throat> it's only later on that they start to like... They it starts to venture out and become their own thing, which I mean, I feel like it's starting to do that now, especially I mean with the the premise to begin with, because I I'm like scrambling through my brain, and I've I've read a lot of manga like over the course of years, and I personally can't really think of anything that really has kaiju's in it. Well, so, yeah, I think that's I think that's the most novel thing about it. It is focusing on like the kaiju giant monster stuff. Right. And definitely playing on like our conception of the kaiju genre. Uh, the characters in and of themselves, though, and like his arc is, I would argue, is fairly standard. Mm-hmm. Really standard, like shonen hero. Yes. Like, I, I, like this is you would say this is shonen, right? Oh yeah, definitely. This is this is pure shonen. Yeah, it it is very like standard, somewhat standard shonen archetype. Um, it is a lot of fun. I will say it's a lot of fun. Um. You know, not not a bad, not a bad read. It's just for me, you know, like I I need something. I'm a guy who needs something like way more original. You know, <laughs> it's like I I need something where like my tolerance for that's a little lower than yours, perhaps. Uh, like, I would say so. It is fun. You know, not not too bad. Uh, not what I would vote for for best best manga for best Eisen winner. <laughs> yeah. Uh that would be I would be Spy X Family, which I'm going to make sure we get to before the Eisners come up. Mm. Um I'm kind of I'm kind of curious. So um looking at the current category we just talked about webtoons and manga, would you feel comfortable? I don't know how many of them you've read, would you feel comfortable naming a winner? Or our prediction for a winner? Or no, oh, what would you uh, choose? What would you choose versus your prediction? Okay, so let's see. For for uh, web co- well, I said for webtoons, right? Web, my prediction, comic, yeah, yeah, my uh, prediction would be Lore Olympus, and my choice would be Lore Olympus. And if honestly, if Lore Olympus loses, I would be thoroughly shooketh. 
Um, yeah. I would say the same. I would not be surprised if Batman won just because it has that name brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be upset if Batman won because I think it is pretty good. But yeah, Laura Olympus is really. And we haven't read the Vera. We haven't read a mask. We read. We did Isle of Elsa last year. Which not, is pretty yeah. good. But this definitely Laura Olympus feels like the favorite. I think this is like this is like kind of Rachel Smythe's time. It probably helps that it's out in print too, which is gonna get a lot more uh, the audience. A lot, a lot of people, comic people who don't read web comics, I think, are more familiar with it. Yep. Earl saying anything about the manga category? Uh, manga, manga category. Uh, I have to go with Spy X Family, uh, simply because that is that is the it thing right now, right? It just uh, the the anime just dropped for it. Um, everybody is going nuts and banana. Like the way people are going nuts over it feels like the same way people going were going nuts over uh, Demon Slayer. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's true. Uh, I, I was I was reading. It. Apparently, it's like killing in the ratings, and it's like super best selling. Right. But honestly, like as much as I love Kaiju number eight, I think that Chainsaw Man should have won. Should okay. should should win. Sorry, not because it didn't happen yet. But yes, Kai, I think Chainsaw Man should should be the one to go for it. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to go with that because I'm not as familiar with the rest of because I haven't read the other ones. I, I, I do know Juti Icho has a has a entry. I haven't read it yet. Um, it sounds like it's a collection, not, not yeah, it's, yeah. It sounds like a short, bunch of story, short, short stories. Yep, and that's it for our first week of well, not week, our first episode of Eisner's. You you disagree with our hot takes on our winner picks? You know, let us know at the Omnibus Podcast the Omnibus Podcast at gmail.com, which you haven't checked. <laughs> I don't think we've ever checked it, so we should probably start. Uh, when I say we, I mean you, because I don't have the login info. Yeah, uh, matter of fact, let me go ahead and check it right now. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Just a bunch of spam. You know, please sign up for a podcast marketing. Uh, yes, yeah, so the last email we got is... Oh, we got a follower on YouTube. I didn't even know we had a YouTube channel. Yeah, we do. It only has the first episode on it, because I was doing an experiment. So. Okay, well... Well, thanks, thanks, follower. <laughs> yes. <laughs> On that note. Oh wait, uh, we got two followers. Whoa. Oh man, we should definitely get on the YouTube channel at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, get on the YouTube channel. Oh yeah, we, get back on yeah. Just when we have money to hire a video editor, because neither of us have time to do it ourselves. <laughs> that is not. On that note. On that note, I'm Eric Wong. And I'm Phil Fleming, and we are Kiryu. Bum, 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 bum. What, what's what's that? I'm that is that that is uh, Mecha Godzilla during the Millennium series. <laughs> we're supposed to be we're supposed to be a nineties two thousands TV show. Oh, sorry. So we are uh, 90s Godzilla, Godzilla versus like, Me- Mecha Godzilla two. I was gonna say Godzilla the animated series. Yo, I love that animated series. We are Godzilla the animated series. Yeah. Peace out, everyone.